Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. And now on Blog Talk Radio, you're listening to Wine Talk with Stu the Wine Guru. Wine Talk for today, Wednesday, January 26, 2011. It's 7 p.m. Eastern, and I'm your host, Stu the Wine Guru, coming to you live from beautiful Coral Springs, Florida, as I always do. You know, I'll take your calls anytime during the show at one six four six three eight one four eight six zero, or email me your questions at info at stewthewineguru.com. You can also go into my chat room here on the show page and chat with other wine enthusiasts, or tweet me any questions you like at stewthewineguru on Twitter, and I'll read them live on the show. I want to say thanks to all the listeners out there for getting the word out about my show. Welcome to all of you listening worldwide. I call that the power of the people meets the power of the Internet. Now, if you want to find out more about me, just Google Stu the Wine Guru. You can find the websites, the videos, the articles, and the TV shows I'm currently a part of. Speaking of articles and reviews, I'm writing wine articles and reviews for Yahoo and The Examiner, so look for those as well. The cool thing about that is some of the articles that I'm writing are now getting picked up by many of the major bloggers, 
uh, industry portals. So uh, you'll you'll see it cropping up everywhere. It's probably easiest to just either go to my website or check online under Stu the Wine Guru in a search. I've also made a Wine 101 video series that can be viewed just about anywhere on the Internet, YouTube, my website. So check that out. My, my latest is on wines of South Africa. And I highlight the Sauvignon Blanc of a fantastic new vintner, Seven Springs Vineyard, from Hermanus West Cape Town, South Africa. Uh, check it out. It's, it's a great new Sauvignon Blanc. And uh, as soon as it's available throughout the United States uh, for people in the U.S. here, you definitely want to get your hands on it. It's fantastic. All my wine articles are now available on any smartphone. That's the beauty of it. So you just download the Hello Vino app, and you can take my wine reviews and articles with you anywhere you go. I want all my listeners to please make a note and remember that as of February 1 next week, my show will start at 6 p.m. Eastern instead of 7 p.m. Eastern as it does right now. So remember, 6 p.m., not 7 p.m. Please make note of this so you don't miss the show. Also, one other very important note. The show will be going from a one-hour show in length to 30 minutes. This is also important to note so you don't miss anything for future shows. Hey, this is Sly Stallone. You're listening to Stu the Wine Guru on blogtalkradio.com. When I'm out making action pictures, I'm listening too. Right now, I'm sipping on a nice Tuscan Red. No actual celebrities were used in the making of this promo. Only celebrity impersonators. Oh yeah, hi, this is uh, John Ratzenberger. When I'm not doing voiceovers for movies or doing commercials, I'm listening to Stu the Wine Guru. I suggest you do the same. No actual celebrities were used in the making of this promo. Only celebrity impersonators. So tonight we have one of the winemakers from one of my favorite vineyards. His wine company makes some of the best red blends with names like Tresor and Siena. Incredible Fumé Blanc, Chard, and just about every other major varietal you can grow in California. The name of the wine company is Ferrari Carano. His name is Aaron Piotr, and he'll be with us shortly. Of course, the number to call in, one 381 4860 or if you're shy and you prefer the computer, email me your questions for both Aaron and I to info at studentwineguru.com, or get onto Twitter, tweet me your questions, and I'll read them live here on the show. As always, I've opened a chat room for the listeners to go into and chat. You can also ask questions of Aaron and myself, and I'll check into the chat room live periodically during the show and get answers for you. But first up, I want to thank the listeners who are following me on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and all social media web websites. I love social media. I can talk directly to my listeners and my guests alike. I'm enjoying the immediacy of the medium, and I like the ability to give updates in real time, and my guests are doing the same to promote the show. So, thanks to Twitter and social media. Some show notes, I'll be a guest on the Emmy Award-winning PBS show, Check Please, South Florida. I'll be kicking off its fifth season. The show airs February 21st, so fire up your DVR for that. I'll also uh, be a guest on the hit CNBC World Show, Wine Portfolio, with host Jody Ness. The show is taking on the Miami wine and food scene. And during the taping of my episode, I showed them around Miami and took them to the best places for both. We discussed my wine radio show 
and the industry. And the taping, I have to say, was last, actually two months ago, um, but the show will air in February, so check your local listings for that. And I cannot wait for you to see these shows. There will be more TV appearances coming up, and I'll let you know via this radio show and Twitter and social media as they happen. Um, I'm narrating a promotional digital video for multiple Napa Valley wineries, so I'll let you know when that is complete. And for all of you wanting to know what events I'll be attending so you can meet up with me like my tweeples do on Twitter, tomorrow, January 27th through the 30th of this month, I'll be a media sponsor covering the second annual Key West Food and Wine Festival. So come down, eat some great food, drink some great wine, and be sure to come and say hi to me. Find me, say hi. February 24th through the 27th, I'll be covering the 10th annual Food Network South Beach Wine and Food Festival. It is amazing. It's been 10 years. You have to check this event out. It's, a, it's so cool. All the cool chefs, my friends like Chef Adrian Calvo and Chef Michelle Bernstein and Rocco Despirito, Bobby Flay, Rachel Ray, all the who's who of the wine industry are also going to be there. And, of course, I'll be there covering the action, so come say hi. March 18th through the 20th, I'll be reporting on the Boca Bacanal event. They have great wine dinners, a wine auction, and a grand tasting that you do not want to miss. So lots of good stuff happening in the first few months of this year down here in South Florida. That's the schedule so far. Keep listening here, and I'll keep you posted. And since I'm a media sponsor for the upcoming Key West Food and Wine Festival, I've worked out a great deal for my listeners. You now can purchase VIP passes and receive $20 off. All you have to do is use the STWG code during the checkout process. Keep listening in. Follow me on Twitter for more information. Without further wait, let's bring on my guest for the night, Ferrari Carano's Aaron Piotr. Aaron, welcome. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be with you, Stu. Great to talk to you. Oh, fantastic. First of all, I want to start by thanking you for being on my show and discussing your great wines with us. It is great to have you here tonight. Thanks, Fern. It's a pleasure. It should be a fun hour. Super, super. So let me just let you know how it works, Aaron. I have uh, questions that I have come up with myself that I'm interested in finding out about you uh, and Ferrari Carano. Uh, There are questions that have been tweeted or are being tweeted as we speak. There's emails that are coming in as we speak and will happen throughout the show. So I'll get to those. I have some people in the chat room. So uh, anything that I can field from there, I'm going to do the same. And anyone that calls in, of course, I will field those questions. So um, no particular order. I'm just going to ask them of you. And uh, let's start off by, let me do this. The very few of my listeners worldwide that don't know a Ferrari Carano, because I imagine it's got to be a very small um, minority, give them an overview about what Ferrari Carano is all about. Just a little overview. Well, briefly, uh, well, it's certainly the 
the passion of Don and Rhonda Carano uh, here in Alexander Valley. Uh, they're both Reno and Nevada um, families. Don's fifth generation Reno, and uh, Ferrari Carano is just uh, boy, it's it's how their love for uh, love for wine country uh, has, has come to be. And about I think in, let's see, in 1985, they purchased some property in Geyserville, in the very north end of Sonoma County in Alexander Valley and put down a little uh, 30-acre ranch house there, which still exists. It was the very first winery. And, boy, they've been sort of living in Reno most of the time, but, you know, in Geyserville uh, frequently as well. And they've been just going strong ever since. But basically it's uh, a lovely family-owned um, Sonoma County uh, winery. So, Absolutely. Um, now, I, I want to just touch upon – you and your uh, impact in this whole big picture that is Ferrari Carano. Um, so when did you know you wanted to work in the wine industry? I was born and raised in Sonoma, so certainly being in the area, I know that that's the, yeah. you know, that's the agricultural force that obviously drives this area. Um, sure. You know, it's second, second uh, in importance of maybe possibly only the mayor of Sonoma would be all the winemakers in the area. And, uh, <laughs> you know, growing Absolutely. up with... Yeah, growing up with the likes of, uh, you know, sort of the founding fathers of the area, not, you know, from way back, you know, early 1900s sort of thing. But, you know, my the the, the most prominent winemakers of the time for, uh, from Sam Sebastiani at Sebastiani Vineyards, of course, uh, Joel Peterson with Ravenswood, um, Jim mm-hmm. Bunch with Gunluck Bunch, who these are all people who are basically fathers of my friends and growing up in the area playing Little League with Sebastianis and San Giacomos. Um, you know, it's it's all that drives this area. It's all there is, and it's all I really know. Um, however, I, uh, you know, took some jobs mostly in restaurants, actually, in Sonoma. It's a great culinary area, Sonoma County is, and uh, getting a little experience there and obviously seeing all the wine sales reps come in and pour wines and uh, just realizing how much of part of our culture it is with food. And so I've always been immersed in it. And then making the decision to go to UC Davis was um, – was just pretty easy. I knew I was either going to go pre-med or go into uh, winemaking, and it actually took me sort of working as an intern at a few wineries to say, okay, this is definitely the vocation I want to pursue. So, yeah. Cool. Yeah, yeah definitely. I mean, you know, and the amazing thing is, you know, there shouldn't be an assumption, um, although I guess there is, that, um, you know, living in a certain geographical area that that you automatically go into it but i mean it's so it's so rich with history and you obviously have uh, a rich history in in that your affiliation with the people who were making the wine early on so i think that uh you know it's a, it's a good influencer you know yeah it's, um, it's- there's sort of two avenues of getting in the wine industry it's sort of a, a funny little tale we we told especially at UC Davis um you're either of two camps because I grew up in Sonoma, and though the though there are a lot of people in the industry, you can imagine very few go into them. For me to uh, declare my major as fermentation science in the viticulture and enology department at Davis, I was almost all the way through the program and yet not old enough to drink yet. So it's not your most common profession. Um, and the other, right. most of the people that were in the program, I call them the LSC, or that's what we kind of called them, the Lucky Sperm Club. You know, they're just born Sebastianis or born Gallos or born, right. you know, Sagacios, and that's what they're going to do because that's what their family's done yeah. for generations. So for me, I was kind of on the outside looking in. Um, my mom was an educator and my dad a Lutheran minister, so, you know, not a big, obviously enjoying wine as a family and loved it growing up, but not, 
not vineyard managers or you know ranch owners or even winery owners for that matter. Uh, so to go to Davis and be one of those people who just knew about the the area and the culture and the you know just the beauty wherever you can make premium wine is going to be a pretty fantastic place to live and work. So yeah, absolutely. Hey, Aaron, did that make you work harder? Uh, I think. Yeah, you know, you know the guys, um, the guys and gals that I saw that were our, you know, our winemakers in Sonoma and those that represent the area, whether it's from Napa or Sonoma. Um, not only, you know, there are very few of them from Sonoma, and I'm proud to say that it's our sort of the blue blazer, sit around the wine tasting room and just blend and all that. You know, most of them were late night, hardworking, would drive any type of truck, whether it's got great pumice in the back or delivering their own grapes, on the forklift kind of guys. You know, it was a much more. Uh, sort of salt of the earth winemakers and I knew that you know that was just it, it's a great it's a great job and those guys um yeah I don't even know how to explain it other than yes I wanted to work hard so that I could do what they did because in addition to that everything they did is outdoors fun you know the pursuit of a great bottle of wine their dogs were usually running right beside them as they're walking the vineyards um you know I had all those visions and all those sights where someone who maybe went to the university uh, to be a dentist or a veterinarian and then switched, you know, wouldn't have that sort of perspective. Uh, so, yeah, right. I, it, it was definitely a driving force to get to know that, hey, it's not just getting the degree to make wine from a chemist standpoint or learning the uh, biochemistry behind it, but also that, boy, when I walk the vineyards today with my dog, I just think how lucky I am. It's fantastic. Yeah, that's it's a wonderful attitude, too, I have to say. Um, and it seems to be something that, um, that permeates most of the winemakers that I talk with, uh, in that, that that's the way they kind of feel about what they do. Uh, there's definitely a zest for life, um, which is wonderful because I have to say, you know, you can look at a lot of industries and not to take anything away from people who go in nine to five, you know, punch the clock and sit down at the desk and all, because there are some people that do some great work. Um, sure. But having said that, uh, I think there's just something about exactly what you just explained that I think it inherently gives you that zest for life and inherently gives you that no matter what your worst day is, hey, I'm in a vineyard. <laughs> exactly. Hey, I'm making wine, man. Yeah. You know? um, people are appreciating the fruits, no pun intended, of my yeah, exactly. labor. Yeah. So it's, yeah, a, it's a great thing to be able to sit back and, and, and take a sigh and then go, yep, that's what I'm doing. Exactly. No, and all those days in the vineyards are worth it, and all the days cruising around the winery, you know, and working with the guys and our team here, it is fantastic. And yet, you don't really get that sense that it's the challenges of the job. And obviously, every vintage has its own little monkey wrenches and uh, makes us react yeah. in different ways. But when people come, or tourists come, VIPs, uh, people within the trade come and tour the winery, and as I talk to them, they say, "Wow, this job's really complex and difficult." But uh, again, I don't. You tend to not think about it that way because that's what you know. That's what the the pursuit is: is to take all of the beauty of what Mother Nature gives you, one vintage, and make the best things possible. And when you're out in the vineyard, it's hard to think about all the, you know, from other people's perception of wow, that's you've got a lot to think about here and there, and a lot of problems to face here and there. And you know, like you said, one day in the vineyard, and you kind of just that's what you focus on. And it's wonderful. That's it. That's it. So I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of skip over here to uh, another question. Um, interestingly enough, I like this question. This is from tweeted from uh, Wine Without BS from Sydney, Australia. And it's tweeted, Hey, Stu, I read in a textbook that global warming is supposedly reducing vintage variations 
and aiding wine quality? Ask Aaron his opinion. That's a timely question. Um, yep. Reducing vintage variation. I tell you, in the last three or four years, I'm going to take a moment to answer that question, but in the last three or four sure. years, I, I don't think I've seen a normal vintage, and we yearn for a normal vintage. We had some good ones, you know, even with some uh, – you know, some high temperatures or some maybe abnormally low temperatures. Uh, but, you know, what we would consider a good average year where you have a beautiful 2005, a 2004, for instance, wasn't too off, uh, 2006, those sort of chart your average where it's cold in the winter and it's warm in the summer and it doesn't get too cold until November and, you know, everything runs its course. The last three right. years, whenever, whenever someone brings up global warming, I think of 2008 where we had a record number of frost days in the spring, which wreaked havoc in the vineyard and for quantity. And then we had unbelievable heat. And I don't know if you recall this from certainly being on the, on the Atlantic seaboard, but in June of 2008, our entire state of California was virtually on fire. Um, you know, from all the heat and the fires, people may remember seeing a little Yahoo map where it's just that satellite showing all the smoke flowing out to the coast. Um, so that was the wild ride that was 2008. Then in 2009, as we with our late ripening reds here are anticipating a lot of Cabernet getting some nice weather the first couple weeks of October, we had the remnants of a typhoon that hit Japan, and it dumped six inches of rain in 24 hours here um, up in the hills of Alexander Valley, and that's unlike anything we've ever seen. And then in 2010, we never had a summer. We had the coolest August we've had in about 50 years. Um, Yep. So I don't know if things are getting more it almost feels the opposite and then some of the thoughts of global warming is that well it's not an average it's you're going to have more dynamic events that are more extreme and i certainly have seen that um i you know if things were getting more streamlined to our advantage i would think i would have a little bit better sense that a normal vintage is something that uh just you can see coming and you feel good about it whereas we have had such wild rise between spring and summer and fall the last three years that. Now we just sit back and react. I mean, there's nothing I can do really when I wake up in the morning. I wish I could make <laughs> it stop. You know, yeah, you could wish you could do right. something about that. But so to answer the gentleman's question from uh, you know from down under, I would uh, I would hope that maybe that's that's the case. But certainly that's not what we've experienced in the last three or four years. And prior to right. that, I just don't think global warming was as much of you know a hot topic or a hot button issue um, that we discussed in the wine industry. It's being discussed more and more, but um, we've had some wild ride of wild vintages recently. And, of course, in Australia, they've had their own wild rides with uh, Almost know, their, their heat and drought and all that. But that stuff's cyclical as well. So I, I won't give yeah. them an answer too definitive, but I tell them that I yearn for a normal vintage again. So I guess you could almost say it's predictable that it's going to be unpredictable. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> just sit back okay. and enjoy. And, you know, um, you know, we just – you have your you have your windows and – uh, bud break and you have your windows when you're you know the vines are growing in the mid spring and summer and then you have your months that are critical and uh, you know July August September and you just sort of pray that those go uh, those go smooth and if not that's what we're that's what we're here for we're tackling all those challenges that, that Mother Nature brings up yep so let me grab a uh, I just saw an email that came in here this one the first one is from let's see uh, I'll grab this one first uh, from Liu uh, I'm, hopefully, I, I don't pronounce this wrong. Liu Chi Hao, I think it is, from Beijing, China. And it says, um, Hi, Stu, I'm a studying sommelier 
here in Beijing and have had a chance to try in the U.S. Ferrari Carano wines. I find them very good. Please ask Aaron if he thinks California winemaking is leading the way or following other winemakers of other regions. That's an interesting question. Well, I first want to thank Liu Chi Hao from uh, Beijing, China, for your emailing your question. And Aaron, you want to grab it? Yeah, absolutely. Wow, what a, a pretty interesting question indeed. Um, I think there are trends in the in the industry. Um, I would I would say for our areas, being Napa Sonoma uh, specific, for most of the colleagues that I would work with, uh, there are great industry industry leaders here for sure. Um, you know, I sometimes I say if the big if the big boys like uh, Kendall Jackson, Gallo, and some of the larger Behringer companies aren't doing something or have tried it and it's not working, you know, it's not. It's not for a lack that nobody's trying. It's really innovative. The industry is always working on um, new ways to make wines better, and whether that's efficiencies in the winery or it's things out in the vineyard that have to do with agriculture. Uh, it's a very forward thinking and lots of experiments, lots of research, and it's fun to be a part of that. Um, following the lead, you know, that's sort of a trend. That's sort of a trend thing. Um, you know, the, unfortunately, like I had spoken about the 2008 vintage, we're up in extreme northern California, we had those fires. So when you deal with uh, smoke issue-related problems, of course we're following because Australia, after the drought years, had, you know, years and years of experience with that. Uh, so we look to them uh, to find solutions to those problems. So when it comes to problems, just like any other industry, you'd, you'd see what's tested and, you know, how it went and how you could best apply it. Then there are trends where we're kind of followers, and that's what kills me in a sense. Um, for instance, Sauvignon Blanc, um, I've, I'm glad that we've been in screw cap now since, boy, I think it was the 2007 vintage of our Fumé Blanc, which is one of our, basically the freight train of our wine uh, portfolio. And uh, delicious wine meant to be consumed early, just a beautifully uh, fruit-forward uh, Fumé Blanc. We put that in screw cap. That was relatively, seems like a long time ago, Yet what drove us to react and has driven the industry in California to react is eventually you go into a restaurant when every Sauvignon Blanc on the label is a screw cap from New Zealand, you kind of get the message that they're doing something right. Not only that, they've just came, you know, taken your market share. And so everybody sure. says, wow, okay, here we go. We need to, uh, maybe we should check out screw caps. Maybe they're not so bad. And, you know, corked wines came up all the time with Sauvignon Blanc and Fumé Blanc because it's such a sensitive wine, a uh, lighter bodied wine. The cork, uh, you know, the TCA and the cork flaws were much more noticeable. Um, so, you know, you hate to be on that part of the reaction or as the as the um, gentleman from Beijing, Beijing uh, mentioned, being sort of a follower. Uh, right. You know, you hate to do that when at risk is market share and, uh, and the popularity of those wines. We're in a very good position that Fumé Blanc is a very reputable, uh, wonderfully consistent product that we're very proud of. But uh, our competition has gone from locals down the street to all of a sudden international for sure, uh, with New Zealand sure. leading the charge. So, yeah, sometimes you're a follower and sometimes you're a you know, leader. I would say overall uh, Sonoma, Napa, and just California winemaking in general um, – and as much led by universities as it is by just cooperative efforts amongst the wine industry, you know, is very forward thinking. So, Right. I have to say that's a great answer, uh, very concise and very, um, you know, to the point. And the, the, the great part about it is, is that, you know, um, some other industries, un, you know, not like the, the wine industry, you know, they don't want to say they're a follower. No, they don't want to be, you know, perceived as a follower. Whereas, you know, in this scenario, uh, if you do, the you know, the right thing, um, and you're looking at the, the end user, 
uh, who is the consumer who's going to appreciate the product and, and has a plethora to choose from, you, uh, you know, you can keep that market, capture it or, you know, exceed it. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, you know, just by making a tweak and saying, you know what, well, we would do an X, but X is not working for us. How's that right. working? It's not. Yeah, so let's, exactly. let's change it up and do what's right. And, uh, you know, and we'll reap the benefits. So I have to tell you, kudos on that answer. Great answer. And again, thank you, Liu Chi Hao from Beijing for that question. So the next one is from Bene Vini from Rome, Italy. It says, Stu, how are you? You have a great show here. My question for Aaron is, what Italian wine varietals do you most enjoy drinking when you go out for wine? And it says, Centando grazie. Thank you as well. Um, So thank you for that question. And I guess he wants to find out, (laughs) he or she, I don't know, uh, what uh, what you like enjoy when you're out. Well, and I, you know, I, when I worked for, um, I, upon graduating from UC Davis, I took a job working for Sam Sebastiani. Uh, Vicky and Sam owned a winery called uh, Vianza, which is in Carneros, and their pursuit was not only your sort of California varieties, your uh, Chardonnay, Merlot, Cabernet, Zinfandel. We made all those, of course, but um, they had a wonderful amount of, uh, of Italian varieties, just sort of honoring their Italian heritage and to make Sangiovese and Taroldigo and Arnais and Fiano and all these crazy varieties, um, you know, it was a great experience, just wonderful wines to make and very, very unique wines. Then as the Italian wines, uh, the Italian varieties made a big push in sort of the late 90s, there was a Calital uh, consortium out here to really push Sangiovese and, you know, we had some big backers behind that. And then, you know, I think people eventually just sort of realized with this area there, uh, where their bread is buttered. It's Cabernet if you're in Napa, and it's Chardonnay and Pinot if you're in Russian River, and Sonoma, it's you know, Cab Merlot and Zin for Dry Creek. And uh, even though those have fallen to the wayside, the Italian varieties, there's still several uh, wineries that pursue making uh, a small, individual, really unique Italian varieties. So uh, you know, the author of that question asked about Italian varieties. Uh, that kind of leads me perfectly. I couldn't ask for a better segue to uh, our Siena blend, um, yes. which is our blend of Sangiovese and Malbec. So a little untraditional in that we blend Malbec in with it. But, uh, you know, if you put an individual bottle of Sangiovese out there on the marketplace, uh, truth be told, there's not a huge market, um, you know, at a, at a high price point or even the no. user-friendliness of Sangiovese uh, from Italy has, you know, not been uh, something that helps in the marketplace. And for us to use a trade name of Siena, craft a blend that's much more food friendly and uh, you know goes with so much cuisine, that we've kind of got our own twist on an Italian variety there by blending it and using other varieties to uh, to blend into it. So our Sangiovese Malbec blend is something that I enjoy. But as far as drinking, boy, I certainly enjoy Pinot Grigios when they come out nice and early in the like we're seeing mm-hmm. the 2010s just come out in the market now. Um, and other than that, boy, it's just the uh, the pure fun of exploration for all of the uh, the small wineries around here who do a Barbera or do uh, you know uh, Primitivo or do um, yes you know we've got Taroldigos out here you can even find a Charbonneau here and then Those, that's always very fun to experiment with and uh, just to see sort of that Californian style the Calital style so yes that's um, an, an interesting moniker I like the name I I, I like that Calital um, so. Let me let me. I'm going to go back to maybe a question I have. So, uh, what inspires you? I think the, the one of the main inspirations is um, is that the wine industry in general is 
always moving. Uh, it's you know, it's never it's never stagnant. It's never focused on one thing. And Ferrari Chrono certainly isn't set on one thing. So you know what what's great, like you mentioned in in the intro, you know we do make several varieties. Uh, we have many unique bottles of wine, and so the pursuit of crafting a great bottle of wine is is a little bit more fun for me, perhaps, because we have so many of them. And whether it's sure. making a unique individual bottling, we do a Malbec and a Petit Verdot, for instance, uh, for our wine club. So even those small little uh, special lots for wine club, those are what are exciting, and those what um, you know you can express something that you know doesn't have to go to the larger market uh, and you know grab that national attention. It's just something that really showed beautifully in the winery that we can showcase for our wine club members. But things like that, the fact that we're always evolving, uh, working with market taste, really, our owners have been really, uh, really big advocates of food-friendly wines and, you know, not having to pursue the overripe high alcohol styles or over-oaked or, you know, for Chardonnay too cloying and sweet and oaky buttery and over the top. Um, You know, that's, so what inspires me is to be able to come in and really just take these outstanding grapes that we own, and there is no, you know, I don't come in and have one bottle of Cabernet that I have to make, and our reputation rides on that one bottle. Um, right. You know, Ferrari Crono is, has vineyards, 1,400 acres, over five appellations of Sonoma County, and it's almost, it's just a pleasure to produce all these different bottles of wine that show the best that those vineyards have to offer. So, you know, without giving you a marketing sort of uh, pure marketing-driven answer, I mean, I'm looking out my office window too bad. There's a lot that inspires me to be up here too. I mean, it's just <laughs> the area is inspirational. Yeah, it is, it's, a, it's fantastic, but it is very unique. Ferrari Carano is a unique entity in that we do have our popular wines. When I say Ferrari Carano, 99 out of 100 uh, people would say Chardonnay. Uh, that's certainly right. what started this company out. Uh, Fumé Blanc is more and more available and well-known. Siena is uh, all over restaurants and available retail. And, you know, we have a very strong Cabernet and Merlot program as well. So there's many reasons um, for inspiration up here. And uh, all the way down, like I said, to the little tiny bottlings just for our wine club members. That's that's what makes winemaking a lot of fun. I, I want to tell everybody, if they get a chance to go out to wine country and they get out to Sonoma and all that, uh, I, I think it's imperative that you get a chance to go to the winery and you get a chance to uh, try. Uh, you know, the beauty is that you have so much in your arsenal. You know, there's that, that doing a wine tasting, doing a flight of, uh, <laughs> you could be there for a while. Um, yeah, you know, yeah, certainly. Absolutely. Beauty, and I, also, I have to come to come to grips with it. Actually, I came to terms with this many years ago when I first started with Ferrari Carano. I've been here since 2003, so has our white wine maker, Sarah. Um, I think we've both come to grips, but almost as many people, if not more people, come to Ferrari Carano to visit the villa and our flowers and gardens. We have these amazing flowers uh in fact there were more people there are more people on the gardening staff uh, at the other at the main facility in Healdsburg than i have here at the red winery so uh just <laughs> meticulous amazing flower gardens you know uh as many people go up with cameras in hand and just to enjoy the flowers as go to try the wines sure. uh so it truly is a destination and yeah if your listeners are ever in wine country ferrari chrono is definitely a a a place to see for more than just the wine. It's in a gorgeous location, and the gardens are absolutely spectacular. The architecture is fantastic, and yeah, that's uh, that's my plug. Please visit us up in Healdsburg. It's absolutely oh, yeah. gorgeous country. I wanted to get that out there, and 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 here's the even better: go grab a nice bottle of wine, 
uh, and then and pour yourself some of it with your with your uh, friend or whoever you're going to bring with you, and then sit and look at the flowers and yeah. go to the gardens. Yep. You know, Enjoy absolutely, it. absolutely. So, so let me let me move on to another question here. I have one uh, that came in emailed here. It's from Ala Jobim from uh, Sao Paulo, Brazil. It says, Stu, I enjoy your show very much. I listen to each each week and learn a lot. I'd like to ask Aaron if he feels that more younger people are starting to consume wine because it's trendy or because they truly want to. That's an interesting question. Thank you. Yeah, well, I want to thank you, Alo Jobim from um, Sao Paulo, Brazil, for your question. That's a good question. What do you think? Boy, oh, boy. Um, <laughs> yeah, the... I think I've certainly noticed. I'm not going to, you know, consider my demographics young. I don't know how young we're referring, but with the emergent, I think what I've seen a lot in restaurants and with restaurant culture, um, definitely enjoying the food. And there's a big spirits push too. I mean, in the last five or six years, I don't know. I'm sure you've seen this. Whether it's the, I have, um, you know, food and wine festival where you go to a food and wine festival and they do a great job with these. In fact, there's one in Florida, and uh, the, the spirits they're everywhere, and they're artisan now, and they're small and handcrafted, and all these unique spirits. The emergence of that, um, and I think that is following sort of wineries leads where there's all the small little labels and blends and you realize that wineries are special because of their vineyards and their location and all the little details associated with that. Now you've almost got these spirit companies on board with these handcrafted small, uh, you know, so people who might graduate from a college beer to a, you know, a cocktail. Um, yeah, I just think the wine industry is uh, being uh, sort of being discovered more and certainly right. the, the branding, and that's what is amazing now, is I can walk into a supermarket and just be overwhelmed with the number of brands, and they're not just white labels with gold script. That's something that's trying to be super fancy now. I mean, between you know kangaroos and dogs and uh, <laughs> wild, bright colors and artwork, I mean, really just the exposure of it and the attention of it, um, I, I think it's much more appealing. Uh, it's much more approachable. Um, and I, I, I think that young people are... I would think that young people are doing it for all the right reasons. I think it's something to explore and to to try, um, and they realize, wow, there's there's such a world of wine out there, uh, just as maybe they've been familiarized with whether it's spirits with cocktails or you know that sort of thing. So, right. uh, yeah, it, it's it's a fantastic time with all those labels. It's also a hard time when you're a a main bread and butter label. I don't think as many people. Uh, you know, taste a bottle of wine at a, that they buy at a supermarket and say, wow, I'm going to go out and find a case of that. I think they say, wow, yeah. I hit a home run there. I got a good one. Now I'm going to go try something else too. And that whole world right. of exploration with the number of brands out there is, you almost think it dilutes market share significantly. But for us, as long as people are entering the market and trying it out and exploring, that's, like you said, we have lots of wines to try and, you know, a wine yes. for every sort of niche. So that plays to our strength as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so, let me. I, I want to ask this question. Probably normally, I wait till towards the end, but I wanted to ask: Are there any Ferrari Corona winery events or news about your wines you want to let the listeners know about? You know, this way. I mean, of course, they can go to the website www.ferrarecorano.com. I have it in the chat room, so people can click on it in the chat room and go there that, as well. But I wanted to ask: Is there anything coming up that you want to highlight and showcase and tell people so this way they it, it's incentive? Yeah, I would. Um, yeah, I've got a few things. I mean, other than uh, 
you know, other than visiting, it's uh, Ferrari, uh, as in the car, basically, hyphen Carano, C-A-R-A-N-O.com. We are part of, obviously, our big passport weekend. That's a, a very large uh, sort of Dry Creek Valley uh, area tasting in Sonoma County. Um, we have Taste of Sonoma. Boy, I tell you, if you're out here anytime between April and November, it seems like there's a wine festival every weekend, or at least something going on every weekend. So there's no, short, no shortage of events. But I think hooking up through our wine club or at least getting information of the wine club, and that's where we do four very interesting events a year um, from picking your own grapes and following the grapes over to be sorted and then eventually in the press and then drained to the juice and, um, you know, to those events. We also do a blending event uh, in the spring where we take the five varieties, the Bordeaux varieties that comprise our Tresor blend, and our wine club members actually make their own. We do a blind tasting to vote for the best, and then we do one barrel of that for our, uh, the participants of that event. And then also, I mean, I don't know if you can still get in now, but uh, – our wine club did a cruise two years ago, and we're going again this year. Um, so we've basically Ferrari Carano own, takes over this boat, and uh, we are heading out from Rome and ending up in Venice, um, sort of going back to Italy. And we went to Ornolaia last time we were there, uh, had a great nice. lunch, and got a behind-the-scenes winery tour there. So uh, nice. our wine club is pretty, you know, it's not just a fill-out-a-piece-of-paper sign up, and then, you know, every three months, two bottles land on your porch from UPS. Now, this is, uh, right. we really take care of our wine club, and those are the greatest ambassadors to our brand. So, through our wine club, yes, we have some fantastic events that are uh, just absolutely at a different level uh, than your standard wine club. Um, and then, as far as general Sonoma County or Dry Creek Valley events, shoot, like I said, you're going you're gonna to have a great chance of seeing something that's happening in wine country if you're out here. Uh, so, there are many to choose from. You guys are very progressive. I like it. It's a really good thing, and I, I think yep. people should know that. And you know, but you know, Aaron, you have to learn to kind of come out of your shell and explain things because seriously, man, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> it's amazing. I, I, I asked. It was great. It was the first time that's ever happened. I asked a question, and then you. I mean, you are on top of every aspect of that answer. I'm loving it. Good, good, you, good. You are a, a, you know, you are, you are a true gem for for Ferrari Carano. So I want to put that out there. I've Absolutely. heard a lot of I've heard a lot of uh, interviews on the radio of athletes that give one word answers, and I vow never to be that way. It's uh, no, yeah, that, that's not very that doesn't make for good radio. So no, it's great. No, I really <laughs> I really appreciate you make my job a whole lot easier, and yeah. uh, that's not easy to do, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> so so let me ask you the question that I ask every winemaker. So one question, every other question I, I'm going to ask you tonight uh, is is different and unique to you and to the, the, the wine company you work for. This one is the one, com one question that I ask everyone. So you can have any wine you want, Aaron. Okay. Um, what wine that you have had knocked your socks off? Um, or is there a wine out there that you have never tried but is on your wine wish list? So you can either answer both questions or you can answer one or the other, whichever you prefer. Yeah, the, the first... Um... You know, a wine that absolutely knocked my socks off. I've had the beauty of uh, doing a little travel and also just tasting other people's wines in the area. I've had many, um, and that's a good thing. I, I'm glad, I'm very proud to say I haven't had just one that was that memorable. I have had many that have blown, just blown me away. Um, mm -hmm. Several being barrel samples uh, that have been poured 
um, of just some of the most absolutely impressive wines uh, on earth. Uh, I was lucky enough in December, boy, what has it been, three years ago and then also about five years ago, and then, shoot, I just went this last year uh, to Bordeaux and taste some barrel samples. And, I mean, there are, you know, whether it's uh, <laughs> Cheval Blanc um, out of barrel or, you know, 2010s from uh, Bon Pasteur, um, oh, where else was I the year, a year uh, Chateau Palmer, uh, Palmer last year. I mean, there are barrel samples are just an impressive way, you know, to see the raw power of a wine before that sort of uniformly, you know, these wines that are coming out at 250 plus euro a bottle, you know, they're going to have right. elegant tan and great length. They sort of all eventually evolve and, you know, go into that form. Um, and that's how it has to be at that price point. Certainly they have their signatures, but a barrel sample that's raw and young and, you know, you get all that power and it's really not refined yet. Um, that to me is the wines that blow me away because obviously in my job, I see wines from the day they're one day old or in tank, still fermenting all the way through the process. Uh, so I have a great appreciation for just that immense power at that, at, the, at those times. Um, boy, what else? I have had some bottles of wine um, from Australia, a Shiraz of note uh, I tried two years ago that I swore was uh, basically incredibly sweet and viscous, and it had the most rich viscosity and mouthfeel I've ever had from a red wine. And I said, wow, I mean, what does this come to? This wine's got to have tons of alcohol and, and loads of sugar. And I brought a little bit to the lab afterward. I also have that luxury of you know following up <laughs> on my questions. And uh, pulled a little sample of it, brought it into the lab, and amazingly, it was just bone dry, not a drop of RS. It just was so viscous and glycerol, um, you know, a, a little overwhelming for a food wine, but from a knock-your-socks-off impressive Australian Shiraz, uh, that, when I have to bring something in to analyze it to prove that it's that uh, incredible, um, you know, that was fun to do. So, And then uh, a good sauterne, too. There's nothing like a good... Uh, oh, amazingly sweet, rich, and uh, we have our own uh, late harvest uh, Semillon Sauvignon Blanc that Sarah makes, right. and I get to taste that almost monthly as it ages, and um, that's, that's just, great. Uh, it's just it's <laughs> the nectar of the gods. That stuff's incredible, and even though it's, you know, I'm, I like sweet wines. I mean, shoot, they say uh, talk dry and drink sweet, um, you know, but when you get those really nice late harvest dessert wines from a fantastic vintage, there's nothing like them. So, uh I've answered your question in way too many way too many ways, but the good news is I've had lots okay. of, lots of wines that have knocked my socks off. So, and I hope to taste many more in the future. So, I, I've got another one here tweeted in. Um, interesting uh, from Cuve Corner of San Diego, California. Um, it says regarding the so-called parkerization of wine. It says, does he agree or disagree with what many call juicing? Boy, um, <laughs> now you can add, you can answer that or not answer. You can just you know you can tell me whatever you want to do. I know it's a it's a tricky question, and you know, you know, Parker, I, I, I would say Parkerization uh, as a <laughs> as part of our vernacular is is, is not inaccurate. Um, and right. I would be lying to you if I told you that um, I didn't have for our highest end Cabernets, our biggest boldest wines, where. You know, our pursuit is strictly long-term aging, great power, just these immense wines. Um, you know, part, definitely part of the pursuit is that high score, 
you know, from Parker. And, you know, Sonoma definitely is as a, is not as ripe. Of course, we're a, another valley closer to the ocean than Napa. We get a much cooler effect here. Cabernet doesn't get quite as over-the-top ripe as Napa. So, you know, those big boys in uh, Napa that are sort of, in a sense, parkerizing those wines that are super concentrated and just amazingly thick wines, whether they're, they draw juice out at fermentation so that there's less juice-to-skin ratio and you get these big concentrated wines as a result, um, yeah, that pursuit exists in Napa. It exists in Sonoma. But I tell you, if he gives you a 96 or 97, you've, it's well worth the pursuit. Uh, sure. And then that trickles down to all the remainder of your wines. We've, it's hard to say that we're only pursuing Parker because I think there is a style that he rewards and enjoys that I think is age-worthy and collectible. And it is neat when you have those vineyards that have this potential. It's fantastic to bottle it up. Now, we don't do very much. Certainly, we do well below 1,000 cases of our uh, Prevail brand called Back 40. It's 100% Cabernet, yeah. and it's just a blockbuster cab. It is an absolute powerhouse of a cab. We've gotten our best scores from Parker on that wine, which for Sonoma County, I'm, you know, that's virtually our 96 or 97 when we get a 92 on it. Um, there's just a little difference between Sonoma and Napa there. Um, you know, with the average scores of Napa exceeding Sonoma uh, every year. Um, but for for us to get a 92 on that wine, and Parker just describes it as this rich, great effort um, and a great uh, example of what Sonoma's richest Cabernets can be, sure, we're after a little Parkerization. I'm not going to lie to you for sure. Um, sure. The drawing off of the juice and all that, the uh, the sunye or the bleeding, as you would call it, too, um, you know, that's funny. We had a consultant when I worked in Napa and he said, you must, Sonia, you must bleed off, you know, lots of juice. And then he'd come back and taste the Cabernets and say, wow, that's fantastic. It's incredible. And we'd say, well, by the way, what do we do with all this pink juice of Cabernet that we have left over? And he'd say, hey, it's not my problem. <laughs> so, right. you know, you, there's, there's a lot of, uh, you have to, you can't just bleed everything off and concentrate it. You do have a lot of pink wine left over. Um, but boy, yes, we're all under the pursuit of scores, the media, uh, everybody, when we pour these wines, a lot of people, the first thing they'll ask is, what score did it get, or what did Parker say, or what did the spectator say? Uh, and that's a large part of our, it's like my annual report card. So, yeah, we're we're after that, but we're not after it with every bottle of wine, because I tell you, there are a lot of Parker bottles of wine that I really wouldn't want to have more than one glass. But the one glass I have is very impressive, um, but with food, or just to enjoy, or to have my, you know, some extended family that's not really super into wine, they wouldn't enjoy them. So we're no, not in that, not. Yeah. you know, we're not going to parkerize or try and make over-the-top statements on all our wines, um, far from it. But we do have a few that are just ex- wonderful examples of that style and that powerful style of wine. Yeah, no, I I, I agree, a thousand percent. I I think you're absolutely right. I mean, and there there's I appreciate your honesty as well because you know one might think that you know oh I, that's why I was saying it might be a tricky question. You don't want to, you know, you're not trying to uh, give. Um, too much power to one particular person versus, you know, but it's really something that you're talking about just in general across the board as far as getting certain numbers and trying to acquire that in order to um, have that uh, reflect, like you said, on the rest of your your wines. And, there's a, you know, it would be one thing if you only had one wine, if you only represented, right. you know, one or two. The whole different story when you have, you know, many others, many other varietals that would also want to be able to uh, – benefit from it. 
So yeah, you know, um, thankfully we have great vineyards in, in Alexander Valley with lots of styles of Cabernet. So we can pursue that style and yet put out a much larger volume, more approachable for our Icarano Cabernet uh, at a much more <laughs> approachable price point as well. That goes wonderfully with food. And yeah, Parker's not. That's not on his radar, and it's not going to receive uh, 90 plus points, particularly from Parker. We hope it will with spectator and enthusiasts and the others. But when we pour that wine out in the field, and our sales reps that are, you know, in the um, all different parts of of the U.S., you know, when they get feedback and say people really enjoy this bottle of wine, um, you know, that's, you know, of course they enjoy the back 40 and they enjoy the big powerhouse wines. But you know, we're we're selling that as that's a different market. Um, so yeah, we can, we can do both and we have the vineyards that are best done that way. If I took all of our Cabernets from even our sites that don't have as dramatic a steep slope or that different exposure, um, or the rockier, you know, less, uh, sort of fertile soil that makes these more concentrated wines. If I took every grape and said, wow, I have to go for that Parker style, you know, you're just, you're not doing a service to that site. Luckily we do have some sites that can make wines that powerful. So yeah, yeah, we're just blessed to have multiple sites of fantastic grapes. So, sure, sure. Um, okay, so now I'm going to ask you a question off the cuff here. Yeah. If you weren't going to be a winemaker, what would you have been? Uh, the more I, uh, the more I am, um, the more I'm in, the, in this industry, and uh, the more I educate people that come through and I'm able to talk about the industry, I just don't think I'd want to be anything but a teacher. Um, and I know I would like to be an educator. Um, okay. and perhaps there's someday, not, I would hope I would be able to do winemaking until, uh, you know, an advanced age or at least be able to consult or work within the industry. It's a fantastic industry and I think it'll be that way for many, many years. But, you know, I would love to be that, that, uh, hey, we got that, we got that old the, the old winemaker from Sonoma, and he's now a high school chemistry <laughs> teacher or something. And uh, hey, did you get sure. winemaker as your teacher? Um, you know, I would love to do that. I love, I just absolutely love. Uh, if I could find a subject that I love to educate and talk about as much as wine, um, you know, with high school age or junior high school age, it would probably be mathematics or chemistry, and that would be top notch. That would be fantastic. Sure, that's yeah. good. At least you know, you know, down the road something that you know you might want to do or might as as a second career in the twilight if if that be the case you know yeah cuz um, you know professional professional cyclist or professional baseball player all that those those dreams have kind of left me a little while ago so yeah much more, <laughs> that train much more gone? Uh, what's that is that train gone yeah, that train has left yes that train left the station <laughs> many moons ago and uh, gotcha. yeah, now, okay. now watch now watching baseball and NFL and realizing there's nobody out there that's as old as I am anymore. I think I've definitely <laughs> missed that window. There's always a right. but the the Champions Tour of PGA golf starts at age 50, so I suppose I've got plenty of years to warm up for that. But no, I think I'll, I think I'll, I think I'll stick to the winemaking. Yeah. So <laughs> so here's the quintessential question that I want to know, and that is, what is your definition of a great wine? What characteristics or components? must it have um for you know i think there's um there's a sense with a red wine or a white wine what my gut wants to say my definition is is something that reflects the site and you know is very true to that vineyard but i think that's an over overly detailed that's for someone who's in the industry and knows 
um, you know, or maybe even at the sommelier le- level who's, you know, that, that level of thinking is, wow, this wine is great, or my definition of a great wine is this because these nuances reflect this area or truly show what's great. And I think the more I've made different styles of wines, worked at different wineries, and been in the industry, I think my definition is sort of falling more in line with the consumer, um, you know, an average consumer who doesn't have in-depth knowledge of the wine industry. And, you know, when I make a wine like Sienna or I work on our Merlot, if I can taste it and say yum or it's delicious or just that sense that it tastes good, uh, my definition is becoming much more based on my reaction and I think it's much simpler than I ever, you know, have thought. I think my definition of a great wine is getting simpler as it goes. And that's something that just, you know, without being overly manipulated, something that just tastes great. Um, good. Yeah. And if it's, you know, if you've paid a super premium for it, you deserve a little more information. And hopefully it maybe does reflect a specific vineyard site or a certain appellation. Um, you know, but there's nothing better in the pursuit of that. A great bottle of wine at 18 bucks that just plain tastes good. You put it in the glass, you yeah. want to have another exactly. glass. Um, you know, and that's, exactly. that's, that's my definition. So, I know. wanted to tell you, I have to tell you and, and my listeners, that um, you know, naturally I've, I've sampled the wines. Uh, I've had Ferrari Corona before in my, in my, uh, my travels, of course, uh, and, and in working uh, in, in, uh, in the industry. And I have to tell you, um, I'm a blend guy. I'm mean, not to say that I, that's the only thing I like. I, I, you know, now having said that, I think to myself, everyone's going to think, oh, he only likes blends, or he only likes pinots, or he only likes caps. No, I love all wine, but I happen to like finding. I make it a, 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 a my business to try to find great blends, and I have to tell you that Sienna for me has been one of my favorite. Tresor and, and Sienna have been one of my my two favorite some of my favorite blends that I have I have ever tasted it's it's just the great aspect of it is that you know really when you think about it on the marketplace for what you charge for those on average let's just say between 20 let's say 25 and 30 within the 30 some odd dollar range 20 25 and 35 let's say correct yep. mhm okay. correct for that price range it's tough to find the caliber of blend that you get in those two wines um, without spending a lot more for it. And, um, you know, there's, there's wines that, that you pay X for and they over deliver and, and they taste like, you know, twice or three times as much as you, you paid. And I have to say that those two are, are, are two of the wines that come to mind. Um, and, you know, and I've mentioned Napa Valley's, uh, Napa Valley's uh, cabs like, uh, Napa Valley blends like, uh, Franciscan Magnificat a million yep. times. I just happen to like that particular blend, and there's other ones I like. But ha- what's come up in my, my conversations many, many times is the, are those two particular wines. And I just wanted to get that out there and let people know when we're talking about blends, not just because everything else you guys make is just a, the best quality. Um, and I think people who have experienced your wines before know that. Um, I have to cut it short because we only have a minute left. So I'm going to thank you. Uh, for spending the hour with me and my and my uh, listeners, and I, I definitely would like love to have you on again in the future so that we can talk more because you're a great guest. Good. And um, I I really appreciate uh, everything you're doing at Ferrari Carano and everything that Ferrari Carano is doing with the wine industry. So thank you so much. I appreciate it. 
Aaron. No problem. Yeah, and then if anybody, uh, obviously heading out heading out west and wants to go to Healdsburg, we'd love to have them visit Ferrari Carano. And then, you know, there's a lot of questions about wines coming in from all over the place, and uh, I can through the website be emailed, and I would have just as much fun uh, hearing from hearing from your listeners via email or you know give the winery a call. But certainly, um, thanks for your time. I appreciate being on the show. It's been fun. Thank you so much, Aaron. Have a great day. Have a great evening, and. Uh, well, I'll make sure everyone out there is is, uh, is going to the website and drinking as much Ferrari Carano as they can. Excellent. Very good. Thanks for your time, Stu. Take care. Bye-bye. So that was Aaron Piotr of Ferrari Carano. I want to thank him especially for coming on the show and sharing everything about his great wines. Uh, I want to thank everybody that tweeted and emailed their questions in, as well as everyone that's in the chat room. Um, as always... Uh, if you have any questions about the show, you can email them to info at stewthewineguru.com. You can go to my website as well at www.stewthewineguru.com and click the link for all of my wine articles, videos, and you can listen to archived wine talk shows by just clicking on the picture of the winemaker. As always, I say, if it's time to pour the wine, it's time for Stew the Wine Guru. Drink up, good night, and good wine. Now on Blog Talk Radio, you're listening to Wine Talk with Stu the Wine Guru. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.